Hey, deal makers, welcome to the show where it's all about financial freedom with real estate. I'm your host, Garrett Lynch. As always, please let's get ready to own it. You're listening to the Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing podcast, hosted by Garrett Lynch and Michael Blanc, where we talk all about how you can achieve financial independence through apartment building investing. Whether you're just starting out or you want to scale your syndication business, this is the show for you. Now, today I have kind of a special episode for everyone, and I think that it's important that you guys know where I came from. I came from a different class of property when I first started owning deals because it was the lowest hanging fruit at the time, and it's all that we could really afford to get into, the famous D-class properties that I owned. And so what I want to do today is I'm going to tell you a few of those crazy stories. So hopefully you guys don't make the same mistakes I did in going into D-class properties. But first, let me talk about Deal Maker Live June 2 to 4. So the 2nd to the 4th, it's going to be an amazing event. You guys have to show up. We have a Damon John, Robert Helms, uh, some real big name speakers and a, t- a ton of great people that always show up to that event. Our early bird pricing is available right now and that ends on the 31st. So you're going to want to jump in now, get your tickets and attend that event. want to give a shout out to OC Real Estate. They say, this podcast is great. It breaks down all the different components of a multifamily into a digestible way combined with the book, and it may be the best combo of knowledge that you can get today. Thank you, OC. If you guys want a shout out, please post a review on Apple Podcasts, and we'd love to give you a shout out. Mentoring student highlight, I wanted to uh, talk about Yosef Lee. So since he closed his first 68-unit deal in Kansas City... He's gone on to close three more deals for an estimated total of $26 million. Yosef, that is fantastic. That's the law of the first deal in action right there. So guys, I am going to break down some of my uh, craziest stories for you today. I can't, couldn't be more excited to get into it. All right, guys. So uh, I want to start out by saying that when you are investing with someone, I think it's important to know that that person has gone through experiences that are going to enhance their abilities to be a successful operator for you. And I'm going to tell these stories because I want to shed a little light into some of these. There's some lessons in there, of course, but ultimately a lot of you guys out there are planning to make an investment with us at some point. And I think it's important that you understand that we're not just talkers. We, we didn't just go through a program and all of a sudden, you know, we're big time guys. We, we at Nighthawk have gone through a lot. I personally have been doing this for 11 years and I've seen a lot of things. And so all culmination of all those experiences is what brings me to the level of success that Nighthawk has had along with Michael and Drew. And so I think that it's, it's because of these experiences that I am as good as I am at operating and owning apartments today. And I do, I went through the school of hard knocks. It was a little bit different path than joining one of these big groups and getting some training from peers and then going off on your own. It was just grinding, making mistakes. And so hopefully you guys don't make the same mistakes that I made. All right. So I'm going to start off by just talking about 
when I first got started, so I was, there was a backstory before this, but when I was just getting into understanding what ownership of apartments was, I was, I was doing some wholesaling and stuff like that. And I wasn't really sure where to go with it. And then there was this guy that had a thousand apartments and my friend at the time got me a position with him. I was making like 60 K a year, just working for this guy and he had a thousand apartments. And then we started to understand what the game was through this guy. Now he was terrible at what he was doing. They had no clue, but we understood enough to see how he was doing it, but we were scared to get going. And so what happened was we were working for this guy. We're, we're seeing what he's doing. We're talking about it. We see a deal. He passes on it. We're like, shoot, should we like buy that? I, I don't know. It would be, be pretty cool if we did start thinking about, it, but we're kind of scared. And so right around this time, there's this kid. He was a friend of a friend and he was 18 years old and he was trading stocks. And he's like, dude, if you just give me 5K, I'll turn it into 10, I promise. And so he's a young kid. And so we gave him 5K each. And, you know, I wasn't making that much money at the time. And, you know, he took it and he doubled it. And we were like, wow, doubled our money. And so then he's like, give me another 5K, I'll do it again. And so he started, he continuously did this. And then we kept giving him money. And pretty soon I looked back and I had given him every, pretty much every savings dollar that I had. And I think I gave him like the time it was like 50K or something. And then my uh, friend gave him like even more than that. And so we, <laughs> we were looking at our account. We're like, oh, it's at, it's at like 400K in like 20 days. That's amazing. This is incredible. So we're like, hey, let's take our principal off the table and then just like let the rest ride. And when we try to do that, we got a call and he goes, hey, I'm going to put this all in. We're either going to be millionaires overnight or we're going to be broke. And I was like, no, no, don't do that. And he said, sorry, it's done. He put the order in. It was like Best Buy option, some top heavy option trade that was insane. And they, the market went the other way. Long story short, we lost everything. And I was crushed. I was like, oh, wow. I just lost all my money. I went and I threw up in the bathroom that day. While I'm, I'm working for this guy, I just lost every dollar I had. Sitting in the office, go to the bathroom, throw up. Wow, I have nothing right now. <laughs> this, this guy just burned us or something happened or whatever he did that it was crazy. So in that moment, we were like, shoot, what do we do? And it, we, you know, this guy's like, I lost more money than you guys and this and that, whatever. Well, fast forward a year ago, literally a year ago, it came out that he basically screwed a guy out of $10 million over a period of time. He got different people along the way. So he actually was, that was, we were the first victims in a big Ponzi scheme on that. But anyways, right then we decided, we made a decision. We're like, we don't have a choice. We have to start this company right now. What do we know? We know D-class properties on the South side. Okay. So I'm like, all right, well, let's start buying them. We know these, we know how to wholesale them. Let's at least start owning them. And I think they cash flow pretty well and let's try it. So we used to, we went to a lot of like local banks that would lend in in the the bad places, and you got to think lenders don't want to lend there necessarily unless they're like recourse banks because they can lend anywhere. Why do they want to put money in areas where there's crime and violence and all that stuff? So we had to go to local banks. We had to get recourse debt on portfolios of two, three flats, and single family homes that we found. That there's sellers of those in Chicago. They'll sell like whole packages of properties, and so. 
we were just looking for these packages of deals and we didn't even really know how to underwrite well. We just knew if we bought it somewhere between like 20 and 30 a door, it would probably work. And that's exactly what we did. And we, we, so we had a guy that gave us his balance sheet to get started and a little bit of money. And then we sourced some equity and we started small buying portfolios of these two, three flats and single family homes and the South and West side of Chicago in the worst neighborhoods possible. Absolutely worst neighborhoods you could possibly be in. And I remember the first time, you know, we, we bought this portfolio. We didn't even like look really, we didn't do, do, do much due diligence. We just bought it. They're like, eh, they're boxes. They make money and whatever on the rest of it. It's just kind of what it is, you know, and they're these brick three flats and, and two flats. And so I remember, you know, we bought our first one and it was so exciting. And then we we're like, all right, let's keep going. Let's keep going. Long story short, in a, literally in probably like six months, we had acquired about 300 of these. We found an equity source and we were just buying with local banks and we had 300 units in the worst areas of Chicago. And so I remember driving past one and we didn't, again, we didn't really do much due diligence. We just buy like a package of these things and like, okay, let's start sectionating them and let's see what happens. And so we're, you know, we're starting to hire employees and quality of employees that you get in D class are also bad because they, good people won't work in D class, right? They don't want to be in the crime. So we're hiring bad people. We didn't know it. And, you know, I remember one of the houses that we bought, there was this huge line around it. And we're like, whoa, what's that line for? And I didn't know much about it. So I started asking around. I asked one of the residents in another property we had across the street. I'm like, what's that line for? Like, oh, they're in line for heroin. What? Heroin? Yeah. They deal heroin. They're a big dealer in town. I'm like, well, why hasn't anyone caught them? It's like, that's my place. They're, they are heroin dealers. Like, yeah, big time. I mean, these guys always paid their rent on time. They paid in straight cash, of course. So what I found out is they actually, once a month, they give away free samples of heroin to people. And so people will line up around the block to get them hooked so that they'll come back. So they'll line them up around the block. So then all the junkies are in line trying to get a fix. And then when the cops come, they just yell off out of the window, hey, cops come, everyone disperses and they come back. But for whatever reason, it's really tough to, to catch those people you really have to have some kind of hard evidence. I don't know what the loopholes are, but you have these trap houses and it's not that easy to take them down and bust them, I guess. So that was one of my tenants now. And I didn't check. I didn't do my due diligence. I just owned a, a crack house basically. And so not long after that, what would happen typically is you'd have residents in these areas and then they'd be section eight and you'd have them locked into a lease. And then there would be a shooting on their block and they'd freak out and want to move and they couldn't move because they're locked in a section eight, right? With a voucher. So what they do to you is they'd break something inside and then you would have to do an inspection and you fail the inspection. And then that would grant them the ability to leave, but the section eight wouldn't pay you anymore. They'd put you in what's called abatement. And so you'd stop getting paid and then they would not let anyone in. And then that would grant them the ability to move. And then you lose money. So that's how you lose money in section eight. And so we just placed this voucher and you have to do these pretty rigorous inspections to get section eight people in, but that's the only way to get cash flow in D classes is through section eight when you're buying the types of stuff that we have. So one day I was watching the news and I saw the mayor actually 
coming out of one of my properties and I'm like, whoa, like what just happened? And we just put a new voucher holder into this property. It was our a brand new tenant and a, um, a stray bullet from gunfire came in, actually killed her daughter. It's terrible. And then the mayor, the way I found out was seeing the mayor walking out of the property and walking on the street and them interviewing him. And I was, I was like, Oh my God. And that's how I found out. And then I got the calls after that. And then we had to deal with the whole situation. It was like a crazy, crazy thing. But these types of areas that I'm dealing with, the way it is when you're there is during the day, everybody's asleep. So it really doesn't feel that bad in the middle of the day. It's kind of like whatever, all the way up until it starts to get dark around like four or five o'clock, depending on the time of year. And then everybody starts to come outside and start the streets start to fill up with people and people start hanging out on porches. And then you start to hear gunshots. And then it kind of turns into like the movie, The Purge. It's actually really scary. And so I would go to my sites during the day. I'd start really early in the morning and I would be out of there by like three or four o'clock. I wouldn't stay past that because that's when people start to wake up and come out. A lot of people don't have jobs and they, they get these vouchers and then they get food stamps and that's, they just, they get paid more to have more kids. So they have kids without dads. It's, it's really, it's kind of a sad thing. It's crazy what happens down there. And so we were property owners of, of these people. We were their landlords. So no one really messed with us. You had to conduct yourself a certain way. You couldn't look like a victim. You just had to be a landlord going around about your business. And I wore a big black puffy coat and I'd walk around and I was the landlord and people respected me. And then I didn't put up with anything. And one of the worst deals that I bought was a 50 unit that we picked up and it looked really cool, really good from the outside and like a really nice pickup. And I think we picked, we picked it up for like $800,000 for a 50 unit. And it had a nickname when we bought it called Amityville. And we didn't really know why, but again, we didn't really do our due diligence that well. We just bought it and it had this steam boiler that would go throughout the entire prop, like this brick property and the sensors it had sensors in different parts of the building that would dictate where the steam went, what, what units the steam went, how much it came out. And then it had these radiators in, inside the units. Well, that the sensors were broken all the time. So in the middle of winter, you'd have, a bunch of windows open with hundred degree heat coming out. And then you'd have a ton of units that didn't have any heat at all. So your gas bills would go through the roof. I think our cash flow at that time, our, our gross income was something like 20,000 only. It was, it was terrible. And our, our gas bills some months were like 35,000. So that's, that's not even including the mortgage. So we had to pay the mortgage on top of it. So we're bleeding cash on this deal. And all of the, the residents were either pimps, working girls, or drug dealers. That was it. That was my resident base in the entire building. And it was a nightmare to own that place. Like just owning it, you couldn't, the first, I brought down a brand new hire on my team. We went down there and that was kind of our hub office because it was the bigger, had a bigger office in there. And I brought, I remember bringing one of our newest employees down to the office. And then this woman came in completely drugged out with a fishnet and I would, my employee was like very religious <laughs> and this fishnet girl comes in all cracked out and I'm just here to pay the rent and like all bugged out and just pays the rent. And I, his eyes are like so wide and I'm like, this is what it is, man. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. This, this is what we signed up for, I guess. 
And he actually was fine with it after, but it was like just the shock situation that that he he went into. So we owned these properties and we ran it. And I remember I was like, you know, I bet these maintenance guys and these people that are running these, these sites, I got 10 of them right now, which is a ton, but they need a lot of maintenance. I'm like, I bet you a lot of these people aren't working. And so I, one day I just decided to fire everyone except for our best two. And the sites ran exactly the same as when we had 10 people working with two. So I knew that we had a bunch of bad employees at the time and it was just a mess. The amount of headaches that you get from these, the cash flow is higher than normal properties, but they don't have appreciation value because of where they are. Because let's say you go, you go renovate one of these things. Well, you may put a section eight tenant in there and they don't care about your place. And then they destroy it. And then you're back to square one. You have to renovate again. So it's very hard to increase values on these types of sites. So anyways, we kind of graduated from the South side and we're like, you know what? Let's go buy a, I think it was a 32 unit. And they were like shoebox apartments in a suburb. We bought, that was the next step up. We bought that. We're like, okay, I think we can do this one. Great. And this is all recourse debt, by the way, everything. And then we bought us like a 50 unit, then a 70 unit. And then and in like weird suburbs. And then we're like, okay, cool. Let's see what else is out there. And then I remember this was the leap into bigger multifamily for us because the fruit was so low hanging, we couldn't pass it up. So we got, I got this call. This is crazy. Got this call from a broker in Hawaii. Some woman in Hawaii calls me and say, Hey, I got this really cool deal. It's in Memphis, Tennessee. You, you got to check it out. It's only 4.4 million for 381 units. I'm like, what? 381 units for 4.4 million. We just picked up this 72 unit for like 3 million or something. Like, let's check this out. There's got to be some here. This makes, this doesn't make any sense, but maybe, maybe let's do it, you know? So we looked at it. We we looked, ran the numbers, and this guy had like one of those fake appraisals showing what it's worth when it's filled up and it's only 70% occupied or whatever. And we were like, we bought into it so hard. And we're like, you know what? This is it. We got to do this deal. So we fly into Memphis and we check it out. And we're listen, we're like hood guys at this time. We got we we've been doing deals in the hood for a while. We know what we're doing, the hood. This deal was very hood. I mean, it was definitely D class, but we were like, yeah, we could we could handle this because all the hood stuff we've been doing. So let's do it. So we somehow got an investor to give us a quarter million to put up hard on this deal. And they were playing like there was someone else trying to buy this deal the whole time against us. And so they were trying real we were we were, had to steal it from them. And like the the guy, the seller played it so perfectly. And I don't think it was real. And so we ended up putting $250,000 hard on this deal, but we had to close it in like 21 days too, somehow. And so we went to, I remember we went to like this NMHC event. This is the craziest thing ever. Went to this NMHC event, we found a bridge lender that would do it. And then right at closing, they raked us through the coals so hard. So we had this terrible loan, really bad loan. And they didn't care. They were like, they did it with the intention of putting us under. So. We had a bad relationship with them right from the get-go, but we had, were 250 hard. We had to close this deal. We were still gung-ho about it. One of our equity sources that we found write a check for it for the, for the rest of it, and then we get to closing. So stay of closing, and the seller just ghosts us. There's nowhere to be seen. No clue. 
And so we're like, this is kind of weird. What What's going on? Like, why, why does this guy not show up? And so we don't hear anything. We're like wondering what's going on for like three days. And then I get a call from the seller and he's like, I'm in Montana. Don't tell anyone. They don't know where I'm at. And I'm like, whoa, what's going on, man? You were supposed to close this a few days ago. What, what, what are you doing? They tried to kill me. Who? The gangs, man. They tried to kill me. Like, what are you talking about? All right, listen. This site has a lot of gangs. I messed with one of them. I was trying to get them off. I was trying to clean up the place. They didn't like it. They came in the office with some machine guns or something, and then they tried to kill me. But I had just, I got tipped off before and I left, and now I'm on the run. I'm in Montana. So let's close this up. Let's get it done. And, you know, I'll, I'll be out here, but don't tell anyone where I'm at. I'm like, whoa. What? What are we stepping into right here? Okay. So we have we have to close it. So we end up closing the deal. This guy just goes off of the distance. And now I'm think about what's going through our heads at that point. Like, all right, what are we getting ourselves into here? That was how we started off on this deal. We got a lender that we hate. We got the seller that of the deals almost got murdered. And and so we go and we introduce ourselves to the staff and we're like, hey. What's going on with the new owners? Like, you guys got your work cut out for you. Let me tell you that. So we are nervous as hell at this point. We're like, well, this is going to be a ride. So the site was 72% occupied, had tons of issues with bed bugs, crime. This is like a mini city. It's 381 apartments in the worst part of Memphis. And and it needed work and we had some capex and stuff like that, probably not enough. And we had to figure out how to run this property. There was a site, there was a, a unit that the seller used to live on site. And I was like, I'm not afraid of this. I'll stay here. I actually stayed on site at this place. This is like heavy crime. And we had to figure out a security plan right away. We're like, okay, what do we do? And so what happened at this time in Memphis, this was way back, I think like 2013. And it was kind of after the the crash and the city was really struggling and they didn't have enough cops in town. They only had about 1,500 and they needed about 5,000. So you'd call 911 and it would literally go to an answering machine this time. So we're like, okay, well, there was a lot of these cops that didn't have jobs that they were forming these like security companies, almost like Blackwater or something. They were, they were like all like geared up. They had shotguns, they had, you know, all kinds of artillery. They were just head to toe with guns and they were, you could hire them as security for like 15 bucks an hour a guy, like like minimum wage now. And they would run around your site and protect it for you. And so we found one. It was like, it was a crazy name too. It was like something like mass security or something. We're like, all right, all right, these are the guys. And they were scary looking, huge guys with guns assault rifles <clears throat> and we're like these are the guys we got to hire these guys so we hired them they have depth too you can hire you can bring like up to 20 on site at a time if you have an emergency and so we're like All right, we got these guys so that was step one to get these guys in get them rocking around helping us with stuff the site we quickly realized that the site was just never going to work if we didn't clean up the crime and there were shootings that would happen one gang on one side that would shoot and fire at another gang on the other side so we had to figure out and solve this problem. So when this happened, what do we do? Well, I called the seller and I was like, hey man, when this happened, what would you do? And he's like, well, let me tell you. 
This is not the the most kosher thing, but this is what has to happen in order for you guys to get a handle on this property. If you don't do it, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. If you want to work with a full-time syndicator to help you get up to speed faster, get your first deal done this year, and scale your portfolio so you can quit your job, then check out our mentoring program. It's at themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. It's the only program out there that actually guarantees results. That's right. We actually guarantee that you do your first deal in the first year. Otherwise, we'll keep working with you. And set up a, a strategy session call and explore whether it's right for you. It's themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. So I think we had four gangs, four different gangs living in, uh, in units on site at this time in different areas of the, of the property. We heard about it. We didn't see a shooting yet. So in the meantime, I'm installing cameras. We put these big cameras up with big blue lights on them around. We're like, all right, what else can we do? We, we seller was kind of like almost coaching us through this. He's like, you got to, you got to make there, there'd be a fence around the whole property. There was a fence, but we had to close it off and make only one entrance and exit. And then we had one of our security guards IDing cars as they came in and out, like actually getting their IDs, IDing and making sure they live there and coming in and out. So this is, nothing's really changed yet, but there's still, you know, I guess uh, a, lot, a lot of gangs on site. So the first shooting happens. I remember I got the call and it was like three in the morning and I woke up and there was a shooting. It was a pretty bad one. There was like two people got shot. One was in critical condition, it was a gang war that happened on site. And so I'm like, all right, this is it. We got to do this. We, and, and what this the seller coached us to do, this is called a 10 minute eviction. And what you do is you get your big security company and you, you order 10 of them, 10 guys with shotguns, ARs, whatever, and you order them to the property as soon as you figure out who did the shooting. And people talk so you can find out what apartment it was in. So as soon as we figured out who it was, I ordered 10 of these guys. They go into the apartment at five in the morning and they break down the door and then they go in with guns drawn, 10 guys in the in the unit, like a like a Navy SEAL mission or something. Guns drawn, zip tie everyone inside, ID everyone. The ones that have warrants, you, you put them away. The ones that don't, you kick them out. The resident, you throw her out on the street and you say, you have 24 hours to come back, get your stuff, and you have a one-hour window to get it. Then you board up the windows and doors and everybody's out. And then that resident will come back and get their stuff. You give them a little bit of time, you have security watch them, and then that's it. And so your 30-minute eviction happens right then. Now, this is actually illegal. You can't do that. But the penalties for doing it are somewhere in the, like the $20,000 range is a fine. And the bigger impact on the property is way worse. And typically when there's a shooting involved, no one's going to come back and try to try to do anything. So, so we did our first one of those. It was crazy. And that made an impact on the property. People started to talk that you don't mess around on this site. This, this is not, not a place to be, but you know, there's still gangs on site. So we threw that resident out. She came back, got her stuff, left, never was seen again. Nothing happened, but word spread. And so I started, the next thing I did is I, I figured out that you could put a curfew on your site. And so anyone that was out past 10 o'clock, we made them go inside. We were actually on the news for that. And it was a big deal. Like, oh, should we be doing this? Is this, is this legal? And it is, and this and that. So people were hated that. And then, yeah, we'd make them all go inside because they'd be hanging out, doing stuff. So then we had another shooting. And this one was worse. It was like 
like five people got shot and it was on our site and it was crazy. It was like something out of the movies. And so same thing, ran another 30 minute eviction. They bust down the door, guns drawn, zip tie everyone, you know, rough, probably rough them up. I don't know. That's what they said. Take these people and get them off the site. And so I did, I think one more of those I did. So I did three of these. And between all the security measures we were taking, we installed more cameras, did all that stuff. I had one, I had cameras that the security guards can look at as they patrol other areas of the property. The crime started to clean up. It started to go away. They knew that this was not the place to be. And they went down the street. We put enough deterrence in. There was enough word spread. And they left the site and our occupancy started to go up. And we had, we started, you know, we were in the seventies for most of the time. And then it started going in the eighties. We battled things uh, like bed bugs. We had 50 apartments with bed bugs and people would throw their mattress outside. Someone else would come grab it and throw it in theirs. We couldn't get rid of the bed bugs. It was just crazy. And the occupancy started to tick up and we were getting excited about it. We're like, you know, this is, this is fantastic. We're getting, getting some traction here. And then we finally got, and we broke 90 and that was like such a huge day. And I was, I was pretty involved in this property, honestly. Like I, I was starting to care about it a lot and put a lot of time and energy into it. And I would even host events there. Like I'd go there and hold like a raffle for the kids. I had one of those bounce houses, we gave away a TV one time, but the resident that won the TV that wasn't current on her rent. So we couldn't give it to her. <laughs> She was so mad. <laughs> She's like, no, I'm like, you didn't, you're not current on your rent. You can't do it. We used to have trucks come in, help people do their resumes. So started to really care about the residents there. And, you know, we had really cleaned it up and it was awesome to see that kind of traction on this property. That was really, really tough property. We still had like 30 people moving out every month and 30 people in every month. And that was just really scary because you you one month you're not renting if you're not leasing you know you drop an occupancy so fast it's just so risky so then basically we got up to 90 percent, and then my revenues were up there but our collections didn't move very much and like our noi and we were tracking we're like what's going on like why why did this happen the staff there was been there for like 15 years like most of those people have been there for a long time like they're just like die hard that property and then we looked into it, we looked at cameras and we figured out what happened. The whole entire staff was stealing, everyone. Even the maintenance guys were stealing. So we finally get it all the way up. This team, we do this amazing thing. We're carrying out the property, we clean it up, we, we get the crime out. And then we find out the entire staff is stealing from us. We fire everyone and we have to restaff it completely from the ground up in a market that's really tough to find staff in. And we did it. We just pounded the pavement. We found a manager first and then we found everybody else. It was like a shock to the system. And then pretty soon the place had, was working again, but it, it took a little bit of time in that transition. And, and then uh, we ended up selling that property at a profit to someone else later down the road, but it only made like a, a couple million and it was a nightmare property. Like one of those properties, you're just like, I can't believe I dodged that bullet at that time. And so that property really, really made me earn my stripes in particular. And so we went on after that, we bought another 3,400 apartments that we self-managed. 
That one in particular sticks out to me because it was the first time I really had to problem solve on a level that was really life or death. Sitting in in that apartment on site with a shotgun by the wall and just hoping that everything's going to be all right and, and knowing that you have to perform, you have to make this happen for your investors and for people. That's what I was willing to do to get there. And I'm still willing. I'm not buying those types of properties anymore. Of course, I've gotten, I've learned that that is never what we're going to do again for obvious reasons. But that was what I had to do to make sure that I didn't let people down. Those kind of problem solving, the ongoing problem solving, it never stops. Even in the better stuff, there's always problems to solve. We didn't fail. We didn't lose money. We didn't just give up, throw our hands up and say, you know what? We can't do this. I never run a D-class property like that size before. Anything that big with a full staff, I had no clue what I was doing and I just figured it out and we made it work and it was, you know, a success for what it was. So when we go and do deals, we come with that same tenacity on everything. It's just not as hard as that one. And that's something that, you know, coming from that place of D-class properties, super grateful to not be in that anymore. And just, it's definitely, I don't think a lot of people do those. I think most people know to avoid that kind of stuff. But when it comes to classes of properties, it, it just, this is exactly how it works. A-class properties are going to have the highest potential appreciation and the lowest cash flow. B-class is higher appreciation and mid-range cash flow. C-class is much higher cash flow, but less appreciation, depending on where you buy and what you're doing. And then D-class is, is mostly cash flow. If you can operate it properly, a ton of headaches and basically very little to no upside on uh, appreciation. That's that's basically how it works. And so you want to be in the B to C range. Some of you guys are do, crushing it with A's out there. That's awesome. But... I wanted to share that with you just so you guys understand the kind of stuff that I was working on 11 years ago to get to the point where I'm at now and how we, there's a million, I can tell you a million more stories that um, of ways that we overcame the obstacles that came in and in a really dangerous situation back in the day, but the same tenacity again that we bring out here at Nighthawk Equity and the things that we're doing and nothing surprises me, nothing shocks me. I've seen a lot. <laughs> I haven't seen it all. But I've seen a lot to the point where I know how to make these things work and we know uh, what we're doing. So with that, if you guys want to get involved in anything that Nighthawk is doing, we have fantastic deal flow right now. Things are just are just really going off. But you can go to nighthawkequity.com, click the join button, and you can set up a call with our director of investor relations and chat with him about how you can potentially get into our investor club and participate in a deal. We've got some really great things coming up on the board. Ours right now in the areas that we're in are doing fantastic. We're buying in the complete opposite area of that deal in really good areas where you would live and everyone would live. Honestly, I would live there. And we've figured out a completely different game plan (laughs) than I had back in the day where I cut my teeth doing deals. So it's just, it's definitely one of those things, guys, that I think that I didn't have a good roadmap. And looking back on it, what I would have done differently is I would have built more relational capital and got more exposure to different people doing different things and understanding the business in a way that 
I didn't make those mistakes. You know, it's there's one thing to be said, obviously, about just diving in and doing something, but we didn't know what we were doing. And we put ourselves in a, a very risky position with everybody in doing so. Now, luckily, we overcome, we know how to overcome stuff and we were really hard charging and all that stuff. But I think that would have been the number one thing is get more exposure to people doing different types of deals, understanding how they're doing them, coming up with a different game plan that was just more productive. And I'm grateful for my experience. Don't get me wrong. And what happened and everything that, that I did, it made me the person that I am today as far as just overcoming things. But at the same time, I probably could have expose myself to more things. I think relational capital is is something that's one of the most important things where you have resources, you go to events uh, like Dealmaker Live, where you can meet other people that are doing the business right. And then you learn from those people as mentors and excel and propel yourself forward into areas that you didn't even know existed. And so that was something that I should have done more and I didn't. I just kind of stayed in my area in Chicago. And I just did whatever we could to make things work, but that would have definitely changed a ton of stuff. So guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode. I really appreciate your time. And we we really uh, love to meet people. Come to this event, get in touch with us. We can't wait to hear from you. Thanks so much. We'll catch you guys next time. Thanks for listening. Take the next step toward financial freedom by checking out our Freedom Vault, where you can find free resources to help you with apartment building investing. Whether you're an active investor just starting out or looking to scale your syndication business or looking to invest passively, head over to themichaelblanc.com slash vault to gain access to our Freedom Vault.